Thank you, guys. Please take your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 18 this morning. This morning we continue our study through Matthew's Gospel, and we'll be picking up and introducing verses 15 through 20 this morning. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. Let's look to God's Word now and read the Scriptures together. The Word of God reads, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered... Together, in my name, I am there in the midst of them. This is the word of the Lord. The title of today's message is The Discipline of God's Little Ones. The Discipline of God's Little Ones. If you're joining us today, we're right in the middle of Matthew chapter 18, which is a pivotal and an important passage in the life and teaching ministry of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Here particularly, he's guiding us to be informed in how we view His body, the church, which He has instructed for us already that He is building. Matthew chapter 16 and 17, He points to that. He says, I will build My church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Here Jesus in Matthew 18 circles back to this understanding and this idea of the church. And the theme here is little ones. We've seen and introduced in verses 1 through 4 that God tells us and introduces for us what His kingdom is like and who is in His kingdom, describing greatness within the kingdom. Last week together, we saw in our passage that by His example, we are to go after the straying ones, those within our assembly, those within our flock who may be offended or have ceased to attend, who are in bondage to sin or grieving or hurt or are sick. There's any host of issues, but at the heart of what Jesus addresses is at the heart of it, those who've been offended by the actions of others. He tells us in his word, as we saw last time together in verses 10 through 14, the parable of the lost sheep, that we are not to despise the fellow body of Christ. We reminded ourselves last week that within this assembly, ecclesia, the church, the church is the called out, revealed body of Christ locally. We, we talk sometimes in the sense of a, a universal church, and no doubt God knows who the the universal church is, but there's no place where the universal church meets this morning. The universal church meets locally. All over the world, all over the globe, the church, the body, the bride of Christ is revealed in a specific, local, actualized way like we're doing here, here this morning. Sometimes we, we need to be careful and describe and define our terms and understand what we're talking about. Jesus helps us and instructs us to understand that our relationships are not just any relationships. Yes, we're to be kind to one another. Yes, we're to do unto others as we would have them do unto us. But even, listen, 
the lost world has those mantras. They understand that they come from the Scriptures, the Word of God, but we have a higher law of love that we as the body of Christ are called to. So again, Jesus gives this description, verse 3, a person who believes is one who is converted. They're a little one. And then in verse 6, if one of these little ones becomes offended, or in verse 12, if this offense causes the little one to go astray, we as the church are commanded to leave the sheepfold and to go and to seek and to find him. Our great shepherd of the sheep does that, but we are also his body. We're the hands of Christ. We're the feet of Christ. And we are called to follow our great shepherd's example and to do the same. To bring him back safely to the flock with, notice verse 12, with rejoicing. We want to introduce verses 15 through 20 this morning. And the context and the the understanding of this passage is famously known as church discipline. Church discipline. Familial discipline. Relationships, and in, bound up in that idea of relationships and fellowship, if it's of the Bible and of the Scriptures, includes discipline. But I want us to look at this morning to understand what this teaching is in verses 15 through 20 rightly. We need to understand that there's a positive side to discipline. There is a positive side to every command of God. To give you an example, when you look at the Ten Commandments, the burden of the law, of the higher law of love in the New Covenant, is not just that we don't steal from our neighbor, but as we'll see in many of our verses this morning, but it's that we give uh, to our neighbor. It's not just that we don't take. There's a positive side to each one of the commands that are there. It's not just that we just don't, do not lie to someone and pride ourselves in that we're in that way, but we speak truth. Each one of the commands we could walk through, there's a negative side, there's a prohibition, but there's also a positive affirmation to them. There's a positive side to discipline. There's a negative side to discipline. In the same way that a family operates, a church operates. In a family, discipline is exercised not in such a way as to throw our children out of the family. Uh, For example, we do not discipline our children in order to, to get rid of them. What is the goal of discipline in the life of a biblical family. It's exercised in love. The goal of discipline is to retain, restore, to restore order, <laughs> to restore peace. And I'm seeing some of you parents who have been parents or are parents, you're laughing because this is a daily task every day, all day. A discipline within the life of a family is exercised in order that the members of the family may live together in a harmonious way in their relationships and in accordance with the truth. So we think about church discipline not only in a family to make a parallel, but also in the life of the church. Church discipline in the life of a church is for the purpose of reclamation, reconciliation, reunion. And church, if you do not get that, you do not understand the heart, the heartbeat, you could say, of this this passage. Discipline is never given to us in the scriptures as a, in a sense, a display of self-righteous condemnation. Anytime that church discipline is ever practiced here at Grace Church, may the Lord help it to be saturated with prayerful love, which is expressed in action, which ultimately may come to the point to where we need to excommunicate a sinning member who will not repent. May that be rare, but it may, not, may it not be so rare that it never happens. In a biblically healthy church, you will see and observe church discipline take place. I'm going to say that again. In a biblically healthy 
church, you will see what Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, in a very real way. I want to ask a question just by way of diagnostics here this morning. How many of you, this is unusual, we don't do this a lot, but I am curious. Um, how many of you in the life of a church have seen, and we're not gloating in this, but you have seen proper church discipline exercised and taken, having taken place in a context of, in accordance to the scriptures, in prayerful tears, prayerful love, with the goal of reclaiming. I want you to raise your hand. Praise the Lord. I'll tell you, well, let's, let's do this. Many of you, some of you may have raised your hand because you've seen it here. If you've seen it outside of grace, raise your hand this morning. Praise the Lord. I thought that was going to be the answer. Yes. So you know what that tells us? Many of you have come from biblically faithful, healthy local churches. That was a number that was far higher than what I was expecting. And that doesn't disappoint me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I want us to consider for a few moments this morning as we introduce this theme, as we continue to study through this teaching of Jesus, is this question. And it's the culture of the church. Culture. Now, I know that sounds unusual, but when you understand the local church, every church has a culture. Every family has a culture. The question is not, do you have one? The question is, is what kind do you have? Again, the question is not, do you have a, a culture within the life of the church? The question is, is what kind do you have? So as we consider that this morning, I want you to be willing to turn to some passages of Scripture with me by way of introduction. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 13, verse 34. And if we're going to understand biblical, faithful discipline, it must come within the context of a positive side before the negative is introduced. I'm going to give you an example as you turn there. If you come to my house, and we had guests over last night, and if you come in the door... And you're like, hey, LeGrand, we're here. Good to see, hey, good to see you guys. Man, we just whipped half our family, got them restored in order. And, and I just spend like the first while of our introduction talking about the discipline that I've administered to these wayward children of mine. And trust me, they need it. I'm not, not saying that, just like yours need it. But if that's the first thing you know about me and my home and my household, friends, that, that's not good. Now, is the fact that I, and again, I'm not trying to put myself at the front of it, if, if any one of us, is the fact that we discipline our children a good thing? Absolutely. But if that's the first thing you know about our church, that's not a good thing. And I'll say it in this way. We talk about culture, and there's two different sides of the ditch that you can easily fall into. Some is, the second you walk in the church, we are a church that practices church discipline. I've known people like that. I've known pastors like that. In their zeal and in their love to reclaim biblical fidelity and what the scriptures teach, they want you to know about the context and the culture of their church. We are faithful. We are biblical. We even practice church discipline. Pray, praise the Lord. No doubt about it. But in the same way, that would be unusual if that's the first bit of our conversation. If you were to walk in the door of my house, it's unusual. If that's the first thing that happens when you walk into the door of the church. Then on the flip side of that, woe to those churches and congregations that within their context of their culture allow gross sin to go unaddressed. That allow gross issues 
on the scale of sins that we could name. We're not going to take the time to list those here this morning. Under the law of love. Under, well, we just love one another here. We just, we just love, and we're going to love, and love, and love, and love. I've known churches, I could speak from my personal experience, that have one man leaves his family, and he goes and joins another family within the church. He abandons his family, and he goes, and he joins himself to another family within the church, and functions as husband and wife with another family, and church leaders allow that to go unaddressed. We could give examples. I'm sure you could give examples of situations that you know of to where the leadership of the church does not address it under the higher law of love. So you, you can have two scales of error there where, where you wear your, your, your discipline, in a sense, on your, on your sleeve and you introduce people to it and that's what you're known for. But then there's the other end, which I, which I think is far more common in America today to where things are just, they're hard. They are difficult. It's easy to just not address it at all. Well, I want us to look at the positive, proactive side to frame how we view the local church. This is what Jesus is guiding us on already initially. But notice what he says, and I want us to look at some hallmarks of New Testament church culture. Notice here, by way of introduction, some hallmarks of New Testament church culture and way of life. And the first heading here by way of introduction is this, we are to love one another. We are to love one another. Out of all the headings that we'll look at by way of introduction this morning, this one is so common and so replete in Scripture that it has more references to it than, than any other heading that we'll look at by way of introduction this morning. John 13, 34, Jesus says this to his disciples, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. How do we do that? Well, notice Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, As I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, in this way, all men, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. I want us to know this. Everything we do must be rooted in love. It must be rooted in love. Every aspect of service rendered here at Grace Church must be rendered as a sacrifice of praise unto the Lord, no doubt. And to our fellow man horizontally, it must be rooted in a heart that is saturated in love for one another. Again, what does Jesus say? He says, by this, this is a commandment, a new commandment, that I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you. That as I love you phrase is the key phrase. And many will say, amen, absolutely. I love this language of, of, of loving one another. But we need to be clear this morning, as we've already seen in the scripture readings in both Proverbs chapter 3 and 1 Peter, that love is all-encompassing. Biblical, faithful love is shepherding love. It is rejoicing love. And we'll look at some expressions of that more in here in just a moment. But it's not just a love that pampers. And so we need to define our terms. Many people, when they think of love, it's a, it's a pampering love. Let me give you an illustration. Imagine a parent who simply, the extent of their love is simply purchases or gifts, but it's not presents. Many have parented that way. Maybe you've had a parent in that realm. You've experienced a love that, that pampers. You've experienced a love that only tells good things. You've experienced a love that, that ignores what is difficult and only focuses on what is, what is good and happy and and non-controversial, but you've not experienced 
maybe in your rearing, a love that corrects. Well, Jesus here, as he gives this new law to his disciples, he wants them to know their task and their duty is not only to love one another, but it's as I have loved you. How has Jesus loved his disciples? Well, no doubt with a caring love. Jesus has called them to take up their cross and to follow him. He's called them to leave their moms and dads, their homes, their comforts, to take up their cross and to follow him. He, he has a provision, a, a, a love that provides, you could say, but his love is also a love that confronts. So you can say it like this, his love is not just a pampering love, his love is a perfecting love. More about that in, in just a moment. This is the hallmark of New Testament discipleship. This is the hallmark of the brethren. This is the hallmark of the church. Much more we could say there. Second thing we see in the New Testament, and this is not exhaustive by any means. In fact, if you're a new member here at Grace, one of the first things we do in your member interview is we give you a little booklet by Stuart Scott called 31 Ways That, you can, that the New Testament Instructs That We Love One Another. And one of the things we say is that when we think about formal ministry at Grace, it's, it's not you showing up at a certain time and place and function to do a certain thing, although we, we, we have those opportunities and need those. New Testament ministry in its most organic state is one of flowing from the heart, union in Christ, and it's one that is described in the New Testament one another's that you find in the New Testament. And Stuart Scott does a helpful way of walking through just in a very, uh, just a very introductory way in that sense. And if you're a member at Grace, you know that because you've received that book, or you should have. And we ask you as the elders to read one a day or one a week to break it up and absorb it, to marinate in it with you and your family. This is the culture of the New Testament church. Secondly, we are to receive and to welcome one another. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Romans chapter 15, verse 7. Paul gives instruction to how we are to interact with one another. And I'll just say this, church, if you are not convicted, all of us on the other side of this message, as your pastor has been convicted, then something's wrong. Something's wrong. Paul here gives instruction to Romans chapter 15, verse 7. He gives instruction to the church that in how we, that we are to interact with one another, he brings in the patience of God in verse 5. Notice what he says. He says, now may the God of patience comfort and grant you to be like-minded towards one another according to Christ Jesus that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of that, truth claim, because of that, verse 7, therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. This makes reference and touches on, in a sense, what we touched on last week, a spirit of hospitality. How we receive one another. How do we receive one another? The goal here is that we not be overly petty. We'll touch on that in a moment, that we don't overly analyze how everyone in the church interacts towards us. As we'll see, the higher law of love is that if everyone in our church is proactively investing in one another, proactively seeking the good of the other, proactively seeking to minister to the other, you don't have time to be petty and to think about how you're not receiving that backwards. We have to guard our hearts against that. How do we receive and welcome one another. Well, to the glory of God. Therefore, verse 7, Romans 15, receive, welcome. This is a principle of hospitality. This is warmth. 
This is graciousness. What is this idea caught up here in this, this word that he says to receive one another? It's the idea of there you are. You're my brother. You're my sister. Imagine every Lord's Day is a mini Thanksgiving holiday that you experience with your family and your friends that you don't get to see all that often. And what I'm trying to incur here and invoke here is this idea of fellowship, belonging, relationship. There's a spirit of warmth, graciousness. There's a putting the other one at ease. Not, not a sense of toleration or I have to serve with you or I have to put up with you. Now let me just ask you a question. Do you think for a second that this was easy to do with the disciples? Do you think for a second, as we've been studying Matthew's gospel, let's not look clinically and sterilely and coldly. It's like check, 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 check. Got it, good, let's go, Brother LeGrand. No, listen, Jesus models this for us, but the disciples even then themselves are learning what it is and what it means of how to have patience with one another, how to love one another, how to serve one another, how to welcome and greet and receive one another. And notice what Paul invokes there in verse 7, just as Christ also has key word here, accepted us, received us. Friends, we are to build up one another. We are to affirm one another. Why? Because we are one in Christ. Because He Himself has done it, modeled for us, and calls us to the higher law of love. In a sense, when we come to dwell in Matthew 18, 50-20, why should we do this? Because we are commanded to do this. And I'll just say this. I hope I don't get too far ahead of myself. It's a whole lot easier to go to a brother or a sister that's offended us when there's a regular pattern of welcoming one another. When there's a regular pattern of, there you are, how are you doing? How can I serve you? How can I pray for you? Hey, let's do this together. Hey, there's a need in the church together. Let's, have, let's, let's co-partner and co-labor in this together. The key point that Paul points to is the fact that Christ has accepted us both and that we are one in Christ. A third thing regarding the culture, the life of disciples in the New Testament church that Paul pulls into play, and I'm tempted to say with almost all of these, this is the most important one. I'm tempted to say that. But then when we go to the next one, you want to say this is the most important one. And it's this, we are to pray for one another. Turn with me, 1 Timothy 2 verse 1. We're topically laying a stage to understand how Matthew 18 works in the life of the local New Testament church. And if we try to divorce Matthew 18, 50 through 20 from the higher law of love that the scope of the New Testament gives us, we will miss it. We will check boxes, but there will be dead bodies in the street. What we need is hearts that are inflamed with the infectious love of God. Imperfect, no doubt, but with the same spirit that Christ extends towards us. As we think about this thought, we are to pray for one another. 1 Timothy 2 verse 1, I'll just say this. It is so much easier to deal with people and to do hard things when you spend much time in prayer for them. I'm going to say that again. It is so much easier to follow through on accountability, on exhortations, on mutual conf confrontation, encouragement, all of it, when you commit to pray for the body, when you fast and pray for the church, when you constantly bear one another's burdens as if they were your very own. 
when you weep with those who weep, when you rejoice with those who rejoice. Matthew 18, 50 through 20 is just another step in that relationship process that nine times out of ten works itself out in a reclamation of a brother because the key words there, they're your brother and you've treated them like a brother or a sister, the family of God. 1 Timothy 2, 1, Paul says, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and the giving of thanks be made for all men. Now this may sound like an odd reference to, to, uh, verse to bring to play, but I want to just start here before we look at one other one. And here's the reason why. We, even in the life of the church, can get good at praying for all men, but not praying for one another. Paul here in this context is saying, pray for kings and rulers and authorities. He's comprehensively speaking, pray for all men. But friends, if we don't guard our hearts, we can get very good at praying for the men that are, that are out there, but not for the men that are in here. And we have to guard our hearts against that for all for all men. Just in the same way a pastor can get so ministry focused and be focused on ministering to others, he can neglect those that are right in front of his very nose. In the same way, a church can be so outwardly focused and we can work hard to, to, to pray for our government officials and the ministry leaders and where ministry is happening, but we can completely grow cold towards praying for one another. So turn with me now to Colossians 1.9. And out of all of the instructional passages that Paul gives of how to pray for the church, I don't think we can improve upon what he describes in Colossians 1 verse 9. In fact, if you ever need a jump start of how do I pray for the brethren, how do I pray as I walk through the prayer list, what is something that I can pray for them? Look no further than Colossians 1 verse 9. Paul says this, he says, For this reason... We also, since the day we heard it, notice this phrasing here, we do not cease to pray for you. One of the greatest gifts that you can give to the body of Christ is the sincere gift, the humble gift, the loving gift of, I am not ceasing to pray for you. I love you. And that when you say it, it's true. It's not perfunctory. It's not... As we all know, well, we'll pray for you. You do. You actually take the time to write it down. In the Sunday school small group or in the Bible study that you're at, we're not just rehearsing prayer requests for the sake of rehearsing prayer requests. We're not here passing gossip. We're not here giving updates for the sake of just talking about it. Of course, it includes that. Of course, it, we have to talk. It begins there. But there's a heart of love behind it. And it's a, let's take that down and let's commit together to pray for one another this week. And friends, when we do that, there's a spirit of blessing in the local New Testament church. Because you can't commit to pray for the body and the assembly and the brothers and the sisters and be easily given over to carnality, strife, dissension, division. Like I said, if you're not convicted, then may the Holy Spirit help you. Because your pastor's been ripped open all week. All week long. He says here, Colossians 1 verse 9, notice here, we do not cease to pray for you. Now, what is it that Paul prays for them? He doesn't leave us to wonder. He says, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will 
in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. How do I pray for my spouse? Look no further. How do I pray for my children? Look no further. How do I pray for my brothers in Christ, my sisters in Christ? Father, would you fill them with the knowledge of your will today? Would you lead them in all wisdom and spiritual understanding? Would you open their hearts? Father, would you give them a hunger and a thirst for righteousness? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Father, would you turn their hearts towards you? The work of the revival Malachi describes in Malachi, the closing chapter there, that the hearts of fathers will be turned towards their children, the hearts of children towards their fathers, and mothers to their children, and husbands towards spouses, and vice versa, comprehensively. Would you fill their hearts with the knowledge of your will, your wisdom, and spiritual understanding? Verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Father, would you help them to walk? This is lifestyle. This is trajectory. This is priorities. This is what Jesus addresses, Matthew 6, 33. When we seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these other things will be added to you. Father, would you help them to seek first your truth, your word, your kingdom. Father, would you help them to walk worthy of the Lord? And Father, help them to be fully pleasing to you. Father, help them to be fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Let me hit pause here. You can't pray that if you're jealous of another brother or sister. But you can deal with your envy and your jealousy if that is in play, if you sincerely pray this. And when you saturate your heart and your mind in praying for the church, praying for the brethren, the Lord by His Spirit begins to weed out all carnality and all flesh and begin to give you a heart for the other, whether it's your spouse, your children, the fellow brethren in the church, the one another's, the same heart that He has for them. Friends, this is powerful praying. And if you're like me, there's nothing in my spiritual discipline, my private life that needs more above. A shot of espresso, make that triple, than my prayer life at times. I hate it. I find myself praying the same, excuse me, dumb things again and again and again. And in the middle of my praying, I think, wait a second. If this, if this is boring to me, it's got to be boring to God. It's got to be. Well, that's where we live. Here, Paul not only tells us, cease, pray, without ceasing, verse 9, but here, as an expert pastor-shepherd teacher, he models for us what that looks like. Verse 11, be strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, for all patience, long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. Why do we pray for one another? Verse 12, because we are fellow partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Church, we're to pray for one another. And as long as prayer is an afterthought, as long as prayer is just simply punted to the margins, as long as the prayer meeting, the corporate prayer meeting of the church is treated like the red-headed stepchild of the church, if you will, then that's, that, there goes our power. There goes our power. But if we esteem prayer, if we love prayer, and we love one another, we pray for the advancement of the kingdom, we pray for the advancement of the will of God and His purposes, and we pray for one another in that, the Lord is pleased and gives power and He gives blessing. Fourthly, we are to disciple and to instruct one another. Turn with me now to Romans 15, verse 14. Romans 15, verse 14. We are called to disciple and to instruct one another. I'm afraid far too often 
People view the ministry of the church as simply that of the task of the pastor teacher or the person at the lectern on any given gathering or meeting. It's his job to teach us. It's their job to instruct us. No doubt it is. We're not saying it isn't. But to look at simply the callings of God, Ephesians 4, the giftings of the shepherds, as if they alone do the discipling and instructing, we're missing the point. Maybe to hit right at home, fathers, no one replaces your job as the chief disciple maker in your home. No one. I don't. I come alongside you. I help you do what God's called you to do. Mom's the same thing. We could go on. But as the body of Christ, language of Proverbs 27, 17, as iron sharpens iron, so does a friend, a man sharpen the countenance of his friend or another. That's through friction. That's through coming together. That's through discipling and instructing. It's not all, uh, what's the phrase? Uh, I don't know, Goldilocks and popcorn and frivolous, you know, frivolity. I was talking with a brother this week. And he said, I love to get together with my family, but it's straining at times. He was just saying that no one wants to talk about anything uncomfortable. And there's lots of things that are uncomfortable. And uh, we just stay in the blue skies and whatever, you know, frivolity. And I understand that, that we all experience that to some degree. Paul says this, Romans 15, 14. Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you are also full of goodness, filled with all knowledge. Now notice this phrase, able also to admonish one another. Admonish one another. Unfortunately, I think in the life of the church, Far too often, the spirit of the world creeps in. The Matthew 7 phrasing that Jesus gives instruction on, judge not lest you be judged. And so we flippantly, carelessly, incorrectly say to someone who attempts to follow what Paul gives instruction here, discipling one another, shepherding one another, instructing one another. When they attempt to do that, who are you to tell me my faults? Who are you to judge me? Flippantly, using that word judging like, is the way the culture uses it. Oh, I don't know. Just a fellow brother in Christ, fellow sister in Christ, who's called to love you, to shepherd you, to instruct you. Friends, I would just say this. This is normative in the life of the church. It is normative for us to not only talk about sports when we come together. It is normative for us not only to come together and talk about shopping, ladies, uh, or whatever it is ladies talk about. Uh, it is normative for us to not only talk about the things that are easy and natural and off the cuff, but it is normative for us to speak spiritually. And to those who only ever speak spiritually, in other words, you don't know how to talk outside of, you're gonna, some of you are going to hear me wrong, your favorite YouTube pastor, teacher, sermon, whatever, you can't talk about anything else. There's a problem there too. Be real. There's balance in all of this. Let us know you have flesh and blood. You're living life, and there's struggles, and there's realness, and there's whatever. We need all of it. But the point of emphasis I'm putting here is this. Be able also to admonish one another. This is normative. Normative in the life of the church. We're not threatened. We don't throw fists up. We confess our faults to one another, as James gives in fact, James chapter 3 says in many points, he's, the preference, the background is, let not many become teachers. They will serve the stricter form of judgment. But then he says, in many points we offend all. Friends, that's just our default setting. 
I mean, you could walk, you could walk uh, into a room and say something and offend half the room and not know it. I may have offended you this morning by something I've said and not know it. It wouldn't be my intention. In fact, that's the context of what James is saying. In many points, we offend all. He's talking about pastor teachers. I'm, I'm trying to make application to the broader point of the church that it's just life. We live in a broken Genesis 3 world. And so on any given day, in any given moment, we are going to offend one another. But it should be normative for us to admonish and to strengthen and speak truth to one another. Moving quickly, very quickly. One other heading here we want us to look at. Galatians chapter 5, verse 26. If you'll turn there with me. Galatians 5, verse 26. We are not to provoke and envy one another. And as you're turning there, what are we, what are we looking at? We're looking at a well-orbed, healthy, vibrant, one another's of the New Testament church. This is who we are. This is the family. This is the bride of Christ. These are those who take time for relationship and serve the Lord together. True ministry and true koinonia, which is not just centered around potlucks and food. Although, praise the Lord for potlucks and, and food. And as I told the Sunday school class this morning, we, we have our fair share of them. I, I don't think we could be guilty of having them too much. But friends, if that's all we think of when we think about koinonia, fellowship, is centered around dessert, we're missing it. We're missing it. True New Testament fellowship and koinonia is serving Christ together, living in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and loving in the Spirit and serving Christ together. And when we do that, we are not to provoke and to envy one another. Now, we have two and one here, Galatians 5.26. Notice what Paul says. He says, if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become, now notice this word, conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Here we have the double-sided provoking, proactive, positive, and the negative in the sense of it seems as almost passively in your heart, in your mind. There's the, the proactive side stirring up the pot, intentionally coming in, maybe through, it's our natural personalities, but they go awry. We take our natural outgoing personalities, gifts of humor, quick-wittedness, but then we use it like Peter's double-edged sword chopping off the ears of Malchus. We use those natural personality strengths and giftings, but we use it like a sword that is out of control, provoking. We are not to, let us not become conceited, provoking one another. But what is the idea here that's brought up in the idea of being conceited, consumed with self, thinking too high of self? We mentioned last week we cannot lead or shepherd those that we look down upon. And you cannot effectively connect in service or in ministry to those that you are when you are conceited and continually provoking. You will not have effect. You will not be effective. You will not have power. You will not have what the Lord has designed. But on the opposite side, do not envy. You may not be the one provoking, but you may be envying. Here, Paul is just—he's hitting every point. Provoking is that temptation of the strong in the faith. Those who are ahead in years and growth and sanctification, provoking can most likely be seen in how they relate to those who are weaker in the faith. Making a connection back to last week. Do not despise those who are easily offended. Infants in the faith. Yes, they may be an adult and older years, but spiritually they are an infant in the faith. Be careful. Do not intentionally know this and provoke them and stir the pot in a sense to where it hurts or harms them. 
Do not intentionally ask questions that you know they struggle with and say, are you struggling with that? Well, yeah, well, I don't. And flaunt your liberty. We will not take the time to walk through Paul's exhortations in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians where he gives great attention to the idea of using our liberties as an occasion for the flesh, but for the putting down of the weak. I'll never forget being an 18-year-old, excuse me, 21-year-old, and having one of my best friends that I had grown up with. And uh, his parents and relatives and family all celebrated at a family gathering the fact that he was now of legal age to partake. And uh, that, was their, that was their business. I did not go into this gathering, this meeting, to knowing that. And it was fine. It was one of those things, I wasn't going to do it. Um, that's the way I was raised in biblical instruction. And I uh, had reason, I know better now where I stand on those kind of things, but this was then. And uh, I did not realize that my best friend's birthday party would turn into an occasion for ridiculing me and why I did not join with everyone else. And here's the thing. It wasn't my friend who did it. It was his parents. And it was the adults. It's with those who had walked with God for many years. And I truly believe them today to be godly people. I could call them right now on the phone. Say, how you doing? Love you. Good talking with you. It's been a long time. You, you no doubt have had experiences to where there's others who have positions that you do not have. And they don't just have them. They flaunt them. They know that you may not be where they are at. Well, here, that's exactly what Paul is addressing. He, he says, do not provoke one another. Do not envy one another. Two sides of the same coin. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians 12, 25. Notice how Paul addresses this next heading. We are to care for one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 25. And notice... Let's make a connection between what he's saying here in 1 Corinthians 12, 25 and Matthew 18. Paul says, front loads his instruction here so that there is no schism in the body. That should be a buzzword here, a key word. We, we don't want a schism. We don't want a division in the body. So Paul here says in 1 Corinthians 12, 25, he says, so that, so that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the, notice here, the same care for one another. So let's just hit a pause there. James, we've already looked at, has given us instruction not to have preference for one another. Every one of us are not to give care and attention and concern to some, but not all. And the, the, low, the low-hanging fruit is maybe those who seem to be more prosperous or those who seem to have better positions or power or influence. We are not to cater to any natural categorical a realm within the church at the expense of the others. We are to love all equally. Behold the New Testament church of Christ. Whereas we sang this morning in O Holy Night, the slave is our brother. Here in the church of Christ, we're all on the same plane. Which plane is that? We're sinners saved by grace. We are all united in Christ. And to be united in Christ is to be of the same body. Who's the head of that body? It's Christ, Colossians 1. And Paul says, now, you should have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Here, we're to be as fair and equal as possible as we can and not showing preference to one another. May the Lord help us. May the Lord help us. Because no matter how hard you try, 
on all of these, the Holy Spirit, if you ask Him, the Holy Spirit, if you desire to see, will take His Word, and He will show you where you're falling short of the glory of God. He will. If you ask Him and you're His child, He will show you. Let me just say something here. Our elders have no idea, uh, as, a, as a general category, we can find and access information. Yes, I'm not, we're not. About who gives what to Grace Church. We don't know a thing about it. From time to time, we may become aware of something. Please don't be a fault finder and think of a time where you walked up and handed one of us your, your uh, offering check or something. I, I generally don't take them, by the way, so don't bring it to me. There's a box in the foyer. Here's the point I'm trying to make. We don't know that on a weekly, monthly type of basis. We can find it out if we need to for purposes in leading the church. But if you ever sense some type of discrepancy in our leadership, and I don't know of any, but if you do, just know that. It's not intentional. I'm, 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 I'm just being bare before you here this morning. If there's other ways that you sense that you're not being cared for, they're not intentional. But addressing us all, may the Lord give us a heart that views everyone on equal ground. Whether you walk in this morning looking destitute and poor and having a stench about you and having a rough week, thank God you're here. You're here among friends. We're glad that although everything may not be going right in your world, we're glad you're here this morning. And whether you come on the other end of the scale shining and gleaming, praise God that you are. But you know what? We're not going to cater to one over the other. Very quickly, just a couple more here. Turn with me now to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. We are to bear one another's burdens. We are to bear one another's burdens. And we're going to conclude with, this is the second of the last. We are to bear one another's burdens. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2. Paul writes and he says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is that law again? Well, it's to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And how is that evidenced? That we treat those around us, we love them as we love ourselves. There's practical application to the truth that we hold to. There's orthopraxy that matches our orthodoxy. Paul here says, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, then he is nothing, and he deceives himself. Remember the context of the disciples saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus says, unless you become, come here, come here, here, come here darling. He brings over a child who's listening to him, who implication is, is, is one who believes, is hearing his teaching, who comes literally at his word. Said, so unless you become like one of these little ones, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Trusting, hearing, believing, resting, following. Listen, if anyone thinks that he is something, then he is nothing. He deceives himself. Well, let's conclude with our final one. Let's turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Teens, you're Antennas better be going off. The teens next Sunday will be quoting all of Romans chapter 12 for you. We've been saturated with it, how helpful it's been to us and our 
love for Christ and our growth in the Word and sanctification. It's being devoted to one another with a brotherly love. Romans chapter 12, verse 10. We're going to look at some different ones right here within this chapter, but let's start there with verse 10. Paul says this. He says, Be kindly affectionate to one another. How? With a brotherly love. And what does that look like? In honor, giving preference to one another. Literally, outdoing one another and showing honor, Paul is saying. Look back up in verse 1. How do we do verse 10? Well, verse 10 is easy when we're doing verses 1 and 2. Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you give, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Listen, here's the key. Proper love and worship for God is directly linked to and connected to proper love and treatment of His children. And when our minds are transformed by the Word of God, the truth of God, the Lord, by His Spirit, leads us and helps us to give honor, to honor Him and to honor His children, His bride. What does it mean to honor? What is Paul pointing to? Here, honor means to give special weight, going back to our other verse, special weight or value to the other person serving one another. In fact, Paul here gives us the command, we're called to outdo one another. It almost sounds odd. We're almost to, to work in conjunction with one another, to esteem one another, to honor one another. And how do we do this? How is this even possible? What's well, possible when both of our minds or all of our minds are being transformed by the same Word of God? That's what Paul says in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Preference to Philippians 2, verses 1 through 3, he says, Be of the same heart, mind, and spirit. How do we be of the same heart, mind, and spirit? Romans 12, 16. How do we be of the same mind towards one another? Look there at verse 16. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own conceits. How do we do that? Well, we do that by being rooted in Christ, being transformed by His Word, having our hearts infused by the Holy Spirit's control of the Word of God, and having His love shed abroad in our hearts. Verse 3 of Romans 12, For I say to you that the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, do not think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Friends, when we have a church culture, and I pray that we do. At Grace Church, we've not looked at all the, the one another commands. But when we have a church culture that is seeking to live faithfully, to just the few that we've looked at this morning, when we go to a brother or a sister in Matthew chapter 18, there's a sense of humility that's present that, that's there. There's a sense of self-examination. There's a sense of not doubling down. Um, there's a sense of knowing I love them and I know they love me. And so I'm going to hear them. And I'm going to examine this. Now we're going to hit pause here today. And I want us to look at Matthew 18 in light of these New Testament commands of loving one another. We'll say this. If the extent of what you know about Matthew 18 
is going to people. But you've not, there's none of this, this other fruit. We're not saying you can't go at all. But one thing we do understand is this. The measure of our success will be difficult. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, Even if I preach with the tongues of angels the gospel, but I have not love, I am simply like one who is a clanging brass and a sounding of a cymbal. Early this morning, one of our children's little smoke detectors decided to go off at 3 or 4 in the morning. You know what that's like, don't you? It's helpful. We need it. Uh, what's the design of that? It's designed to alert. It's designed to tell. It did its job. But my goodness, was it, was it grating. That's a flawed analogy. Don't, don't read into that more than what you should. It's literally off the front burner of our life. By the time I woke up and heard about it, I don't know how long that thing had been going on. Even if our, intention, even if our actions are right, but they're not saturated with the Spirit of Christ, the heart of Christ, we're going to struggle. And we're going to find it difficult to be effective. Church, I just want you to know, I'm not preaching at you this morning. I'm preaching at me. And may the Lord help all of us as we continue to walk through Matthew chapter 18. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we need your help. And we need your, your truth and your strength. And we find it. Father, we pray that you would continue to bless this church. You bless it particularly by not only faithfulness to your word and obedience to the scriptures. But Father, with a renewed commitment and pledge to love one another. A love that is a perfecting love. A love that is tangible. A love that, yes, has gifts and tokens of affection attached with it. And also a love that edifies, instructs. Father, would you just succinctly and in summary give us the heart and mind of Christ. Would you help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. And would you do that not only for us, but would you do it for our spouses? Would you do it for our children? Father, would you do it for our brother to the right, our sister to the left? Would you do it for our sister in the front and our brother behind us? Would you do it for our church? Would you shed your love abroad in our hearts? Father, for those that grace has had to dismiss from our roles through abandoning of the church, for those that grace in the past has had to officially exercise formal discipline upon, we pray at this very moment for their reclaiming, afresh and anew. We pray that we would see the day where we are reconciled with them, where they would walk through the doors of this church and we would say, there you are. We would seek steps of not only welcoming, but steps towards biblical restoration and reconciliation. We know that in Christ all things are possible. We know that what we ask and pray for this morning is not too difficult for you. Nothing is too hard for, for you. And we pray in faith asking that you would do this gracious and good work. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We'll stand together and sing our final song this morning.